Welcome to the Specify Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Tas Nakagawa of Castagra Products. Each week, I talk to leaders and experts about how to overcome adversity, grow massive organizations, and how to create meaningful change in the building materials and construction industry. Today's guest is Tim Brown. He's the CEO and founder at The Hook Agency. Tim, thank you. Thank you for coming on the show. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. So you do marketing, which is, you know, my love, my first love, you know, more entrepreneurship broadly. But did that come naturally to you, the entrepreneurship? Because I know you started by working for other people. Yeah, I think I needed to be on my own. I was a terrible employee. I... I worked my butt off, which is cool, but working your butt off is half of it. And the other half is like being compliant. And I wasn't very good at being compliant. So when when you say being compliant, you mean like, you know, following the rule book uh, opposed to like trying things that cool things that work. Yeah, I tried a lot of cool things at work. I was that guy. I was a very high performer and I was contributing a lot and trying to innovate. But as a business owner now having employees, like if you're if you're both awesome and Wiley, it's not as fun for me as a business owner. Like I appreciate the energy, but at the end of the day, like if you are an employee, like being emotionally mature is also a part of it. And I was not when I was an employee, I was somebody that was trying to always do the best possible thing and I'm going to fight for it. You know what I mean? And at this point in the game as a leader, I have to both do the best thing possible while also considering everyone else's feelings and making sure that we never go too far into feelings, but making sure that we're, we have to get buy-in basically. So I kind of know that now, and I didn't know that as an employee, entrepreneurship in general, the risk and the fun of it came naturally to me, but the actual having to I hope I'm allowed to say that for years and years did not come naturally to me. And I I did not know that I was going to have to go through as many very, very serious hard times. Not that I like lost everything or I didn't, you know, I never had a bankruptcy or anything like that, but I definitely just, there's the entrepreneurial desert and that's a real thing. And no matter what, even if you get funding or whatever, there's just serious soul searching that has to happen. And is this worth it? Is this valuable? Sometimes like if you are doing well, it's even scarier because now there's expectations. Everyone is expecting you to know where to go. Yeah, absolutely. I'm aware of the desert, but tell the listeners, what what is this? What was this desert for you? Like, what was that sort of up and down battle there? Yeah, I was talking to my wife about this the other day. I was saying like somebody on LinkedIn, you know, LinkedIn has the, the, the softness of LinkedIn out here. It's a, there's somebody saying like, I could never have that many employees because I always feel like I'm holding them back from entrepreneurship. And I believe everyone should be an entrepreneur. I don't at all. Like no. that's just wild to me to think that way because literally the last few years I've realized Somebody told me this. Will Will Reynolds, who's another marketing agency owner, said, you're special. And when you realize that, it's actually very helpful for the way you manage people because you're not expecting them to be you. 
and you're not expecting them to want another 20 hours of work for 40 more thousand dollars. Like they don't want that half the time. And like, you have to be honest about that with who, you know, you are an interesting individual that chose entrepreneurship and you're an interesting person that wanted this. I did know I was kind of risking it all when I went into entrepreneurship. So I did know that I was risking a lot, especially because not long after I hired my wife, which is risking even more. And my desert had to do a little bit with that, to be real with you, that back and forth with the wife who was also very integral integral to our business. And that desert for me has been during COVID as well. We had times where there was clients dropping like flies because of budget and different. We had, we weren't just home service contractors before we had all kinds of businesses and some of them just flopped or did very poorly during that time. So that was part of it. Losing revenue and having to make, you know, I actually chose to keep everyone I possibly could. And the PPP money wasn't enough to like do all this. I'll be real. Like this is just like me thinking I was being a good person as good as I possibly could be. So taking cuts on my salary and caring more about my employees sometimes than I felt like they cared about me. You know what I mean? Like I really thought I was doing this good guy shtick. And then right as soon as COVID, the heat was off, like three people just left. And you're like, I don't know if I love this good guy shtick as much as I did before COVID. But uh, nonetheless, I I think that was part of it. And just the pain of, I think some of the hardest parts are the pain of training people and then watching them go. And then learning to be okay with that because people need to go where they need to go. But those those are definitely the most painful moments, especially when you are hand training them all yourself. That's probably the biggest ones for me is like, ding, I just spent a year with that person and I don't have somebody else to train this next person. So I have to train the exact same stuff over again. Yeah. So you you pour your, you know, your your heart into it and then, you know, you, you take these salary cuts. I mean, does it change anything that you would do going forward, like in, in mentally? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does. Uh, I'll be real. Like I, uh, I'm probably going to be a little quicker on the draw on like something like that in the future. I'm not going to be as generous. I mean, realistically, I don't think anyone wants me to go into detail on that per se, but like, I will say like, you can't expect everyone to be super crazy loyal. It's actually not even fair to them. So like, if I'm putting that on them, they're making a business decision by working here that this is going to be good for their life, their salary and their career. And if I can't fulfill on that, it doesn't matter how many good things I did in my head to help them. It really is just in the end, they're going to make a selfish decision. And we all have to kind of do that a little bit. And if you don't, if you're really romantic about business, excuse me, if I'm really romantic about business and something else like a major recession hit or something like that, it would be a disservice to the highest performing employees in my business to not trim back a little bit if I needed to, to not, you know, 
let go of some people, the bottom 20% or whatever. I would need to do that. That would be appropriate to do. It's not usually something people want to talk about on a podcast, but ultimately if I didn't do that, then when the heat was off and then they left, I would be confused. So I can't, I can't like make quid pro quo agreements that they didn't even hear about and then be sad when they, they do what they need to do for their life after the heat's off. Yeah. I think I know what you're saying for sure. Yeah. So essentially, you you know, in, in order to sort of respect the people in the organization, you know, people are there to do a job, right? Mm-hmm. And you can you can be as nice as you can and as supportive as you can, but the, at the end of the day, you have to work together towards a one a common goal. If that common goal is you know is sort of being sort of adhered to, then it all lines up. But if you extend the boundaries too much and you have mul- too many multiple goals, then you're, you're going to fail trying to keep everyone happy. Oh my God. That's, that's very true. And that's something, yeah, we've been working on a lot lately with trimming down the amounts of goals that we have in our business. Yeah. So, that's, so, you know, when you're going through this, it, are you, are you self-learning? Do you have mentors? Like how, yeah. how did you approach this? Yeah. I've had several like paid coaches and then I always try to make like a little advisory board of people that I respect. So my dad and my brother run a $10 million business and it's sound and lighting. So I go to them sometimes and like present all of our stuff. And then I've had other agency owners and kind of like, here's as much as I can give you as quick as possible. And then I've paid people, you know, thousand or 2000 bucks a month to just do a call, two calls with me or something like that. I will say at this point in the game though, I trust myself more than I trust a lot of outside things. If you're an entrepreneur listening or watching this, you should probably trust yourself more than any coach. And I do think it's really good to get outside as outside advisors, but we have so much more context on our business than anyone else. Like there's just so many details. I Sometimes I've been like with a very smart person. I'm like, here's all of our problems. Here's all of the opportunities. And then I give them like a half an hour to talk at me. And half the time, I'm just like, I need to give you one more piece of information because it's like, you should know that this is going on. You should know that that's going on. And yes, they could just not be being romantic. But then a lot of times it's like, no, we've already tried that. We know this about our, it's so much more, especially when you're in a niche, right? So like, let's say a roofer and you do only coatings or, you know, you're totally different than anyone over here that's doing residential. No. And they're they're trying to give you advice. You're like, literally, that's not going to work at all. Like I it's know, tough, for a yeah. Fact. Industry segments, personalities within your company, yeah. so many variables consider. Exactly. So just I don't know. That's been a really good thing for me to just kind of like be okay with. Like, yeah, I'm gonna have to try some stuff, and it's gonna hurt a little bit. But no advisor. I don't know. I still am going to have advisors. I'm always going to trust myself more. And they're definitely not going to be help be able to help me with every little question. Should I hire now? There's so many things there that you need to like look at. And then you just have to get familiar with the pain associated with needing to hire and then not hiring or hiring too quick. You're going to have to get associated with one of those. And then you're going to learn. You're going to learn. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Hey, so let's dig into marketing. Sure. What type of marketing do you primarily spend doing? Because I know a lot of times I'm talking to people and say, oh yeah, the person's good at marketing. 
that doesn't mean much. Marketing is a massive area. What's yeah. what's your specialty? Google. So Google SEO and then Google ads and websites. So we have like our winning website formula, which is like the things you need to have on your website to be more persuasive and the ultimate ranking recipe, which is how to make your website rank on Google. So we've got a couple of things that like we talk about a lot and ranking on the internet with organic stuff, because that's our longest term thing. And it's something I'm very passionate about. There's a lot about content and creating better content. And then also like keyword research and finding what people are Googling the most and then how to make your website more attractive to Google, which tends to be making it fast, making sure it's got like good buckets in it. So it's well-organized. So those are the types of things that, you know, we're thinking about a lot and just implementing for our clients. The difference between us and a lot of companies is we don't just like suggest that you do these things. We actually do them for you. So there's an element of like, we're, we think of ourselves as a get done agency or like a workhorse agency, not like a consultancy. So there's a lot of consultants out there and we like to be friends with them because they might suggest us, <laughs> but we, we're the ones that you come to when we get stuff done, when you want to get stuff done. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, when you're talking about content, you know, th that's a that's a big thing that people look at these days. And SEO doesn't always come. The results don't always come right away. How do you walk mm. people through that? How do you how do you convince people to trust the process? Mm. Yeah, I mean, from the get, it's, it kind of comes down to selling it the right way, I think. And we we've, we've learned a ton on that this past couple of years is like because when you're young, when you're a young marketing agency, you want to paint the rosiest picture. And once you have enough clients that shake your hand a little too hard at month six, where it hurts, you want to paint a little bit more realistic picture. And then once you start to have success and you're, you've been cranking for a while, if you get to that point, which is a lovely point to get to, then you want to make it as realistic as you possibly can hyper realistic because then you'll get the best clients for your situation and even now like i want to make it as real as i possibly can because we can't take on that many clients at a time so i just want the ones that know the truth you know as clear as i possibly can make it so i i don't think most so a lot of roofing companies roofing just home service contractors and various businesses over in this direction have had really bad experiences with marketing agencies. And I think it's probably more of that. The first one that I said, it's not people trying to screw you over. It's people accidentally painting a rosier picture, not even accident. You know what I mean? They're trying to survive. They're trying to make a business. They're not trying to tell you, Oh yeah. So the last three clients that we had are gone because you know, we, said leads would happen in six months and it actually would have taken maybe more like 15 months. Yeah. Sorry. So that's hard. It's a hard, it's a hard business actually. And I get that people don't think it is because it's on computers, but it actually is hard. And I think that people want to make it not seem hard or something for other reasons, but anyways, it's hard. Yeah. It's hard to consistently get results when you're thrown into 
unknown situations, right? Because mm-hmm. how much of it is relying on a client that is participating in this process yeah. actively? Not, yeah. hey, Tim, here you go. We're just going to go off for six months and we're going to come back to something wonderful, right? You need them to participate. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's that's a good takeaway for any person who's working with a marketing agency. I, I don't think that the purpose of this podcast is to make you switch. So I don't want you to go switch. You shouldn't be switching that often of your agency, right? But being a good partner with them and actually showing up to those monthly meetings and contributing as much as you can will make your experience better. I say follow money with effort. And I have vendors for us that do stuff for us. But I I several times during the month will say, hey, is there anything else I can do to better equip you or anything I can do on my side to make this more effective? You know, like I say that pretty regularly, not not in a way that's like you're not going quick enough or you're not doing enough. I say it in a way that's like just if there's anything I can do or if there's anything holding you back. And you and I probably know that. from employees. I think that some folks are trying to bandage bad systems in their company with marketing. They want marketing to fix something that's a deeper problem. And so I think you should make sure your company is going to be a five-star generating machine before trying to pour on too much marketing gasoline. And I think that there's an element of maturity that comes with not being overly dependent, but like being accountability, you know, back and forth with you and your agency. They get to be, you know, accountability to you sometimes. I need this, I need that. And you need to be accountability with them to say, this is what I'm expecting. And you said that it was going to be nine months before we started to get leads. How are those, you know, where are we at? Are we are we on track? Those types of things. Yeah. And in those early clients, were they all like for you sort of talking to people directly? Or did you have a site that was pulling SEO leads? Like, how did you get some of your first clients to get off the ground? Yeah. No, that's a great question. So I multiple ways. I was like, you know, aggressive, very aggressive. So I ranked my site my personal site for Minneapolis terms originally, Minneapolis web design, Minneapolis SEO. So I was at different times, I was number one for both of those terms, which maybe doesn't seem like a big deal, but in a 3 million person market to be number one for those terms, what created consistent leads for me. I also was doing networking. I'd go to networking events. And then I also was doing aggressive social media marketing. So I did a lot on Twitter and did some stuff on Facebook and tried some different social media stuff that also got me some business. So it's kind of a mix of social and organic rankings that I kind of would get one here or there and then create, turn those into referrals. And yeah, it was crazy. I mean, when I was at my last agency, I brought in Mall of America as a client. This is kind of my favorite story because they came in on my website because I was ranking very high for something. And then I brought it to my company. So I was, I had an overlap. I was making this other site on the side, brought it to my other company. I sold them with no one else's help. I I put out the contract, got the sign, you know, did the follow-up, got the signature. And then 
like did information architecture, so wireframes, I designed it, got all the sign off, developed it myself. And then I kind of thought to myself, what do you think at that point? <laughs> what are you thinking about? You're thinking exactly. about just finishing it off yourself. Yeah. Why am I not? Why am I at this company? <laughs> so <laughs> that that was kind of realistically probably one of the things that kind of made me think like I probably should have my own company. You know, like this company's great. Like I said, I wasn't as compliant as I could have been, but I did contribute a lot over the over three years. And then I just decided to take the show on the road. So, yeah. Well, I mean, I could see, you know, even when you had a job, you had your own side site that was generating yeah. leads too. So yeah. I could I could see why there was a natural leaf for you. Every business, like if you control the business development, if you can make business development happen, you have a lot of power. And like, that's one of the hardest things for a lot of companies is business development happening. So if you know how to make business development happen, like you are, you're a dangerous man. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, definitely that's, that's where it starts, the demand, right? I mean, you, you have to, like you said, you need it to be a five-star company and make sure your process is online, but you got that first step where they say, hey, can you guys do this for us? That's really powerful for sure. Mm -hmm. When you're doing all this stuff and you're, you know, with this, the SEO, you mentioned social, how does the social media play into what you suggest? Like how important is a personal brand to the, the home service market? Yeah, I believe it's very important. It's one very important point because I believe it also can create referrals, not just leads, but it creates kind of a, a community around you. So then you can get those people to share you when there's word of mouth opportunities. I haven't done it for clients in a while. We started with it. We decided not to do it because it's very hard to add a ton of value as an outside company. It always felt like people are sending us stuff and then we're posting it, but it's not, we weren't adding a ton, maybe a few emojis. Maybe we spruce up the language a little bit to make it feel like friendly. But other than that, it never felt like we were doing anything crazy valuable. It felt like it was kind of like blah, vanilla. Yeah. And it was very difficult, by the way. And it wasn't creating as many leads as as for most of our businesses. There were some businesses like we had a modern home builder that we created. I know one like one point three million dollar home sales from, you know, like so like I know we did some stuff, but it was always it wasn't consistent enough. And it was usually because they just had gorgeous work right? The, the work was really aesthetic. So it was easy. I believe you should go hard on social. I do have a course. It's hookagency.com slash social. And it will literally, it's free. And it'll just tell you what to post every day for like five, seven weeks. And so it will, it will walk you through the first week kind of prepping you. And then it'll show you, I'm trying to try to help people know how to do that. But as far as like a service, we found ourselves feeling a little held back by what the company could provide. And we just didn't feel like we were making as many leads happen as on the like Google side. And just going back to the home service or the roofing side, why did you decide to focus on that as sort of a niche? Yeah. Well, I had a coach that told me I should niche and my last agency didn't at all. 
So there was like, I, I got very frustrated from that because it always felt like we were like, I was the one doing the work. And then they're like, oh yeah, we know how to do that. We know how to do that. We know how to do that. And you never felt like you got a, you never felt like you were doing the same thing twice. So you always were learning and it, it hurt. It felt unwise. Once, now that I've niched, I know it was unwise because once you do things five, seven times, I have more certainty around that. So the coach said to do it. I tried it. I was so scared because you don't want to let go of all that other business you had. And then I solely had enough roofing and, and home services clients where I was like, my wife said, like, it's time. You have to turn off this other business. We're having less results there. I don't like the clients as much there. And so we basically said as of like last summer, July 1, that no other companies besides home services businesses. And now we have like 80% roofing companies. It all happened kind of quick because once you do that and you commit to something, it's kind of beautiful. Like a lot of areas in life, if you commit to something, it is beautiful. Now you should commit based on information, right? Like we didn't just choose it from the very beginning. We were pretty slow. If you think about it, that was like, four years of not being fully niched and just kind of like riding the line. So I don't know. It's scary to think people would start completely niched, but I know some people do and it's a beautiful thing. I know, I know a company phaser marketing who does contractors more like dirt works and excavation. I'm aware of that company. (laughs) He started that somewhat from the beginning. I mean, he reached out to me and was talking to me about it a little bit and I'm like, it sounds smart. He's brilliant. You know, let's go. But I, it's still scary to think to start from the beginning. So, I mean, I think a lot of people will go quicker if, if they do that. Just don't choose roofing. Just get out of here. We don't need you. This is too many agencies. <laughs> hey, speaking about that, you put out this thing, which I thought was uh, fascinating. And it just kind of laid out different company sizes and it mapped out some other agencies and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So what was your thought process? It was, I mean, for someone's an, an outsider, it's like, hey, you're kind of promoting your competitors in, on this yeah. uh, infographic. What was the thought process around that? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of worse agencies than those five or four that I suggested besides us. Maybe five if you include a few other things. And so I guess I'm trying to get people to use the better ones because otherwise they think all agencies are actually trash because like there's some agencies that are actually bad. Just go look at, make sure you're looking at reviews and look for case studies and maybe, you know, stuff like that. I just don't want people like we're all affected when the company's real bad. Like if you're a coding, right? Like, and they try codings once and there's a bad coding that they, and they tried the worst coding, then codings are forever tainted in their mind. But that happens a lot with agencies because there's just so many and the barrier to entry is so low. So what I'm trying to do is promote the better ones that are, they'll get a decent result from so that agency reputation in this world is not as bad. I have a lot to overcome Agencies have a lot to overcome. So that's kind of where I'm trying to do things in a way that feels really clean and feels like generous because then it's like, and it's crazy when you act that way. I will say the market seems to react to you that way too. 
So we get ridiculous amounts of business. I'm not trying to brag. I'm just saying like, we have a lot of business for our size that we feel like we can be selective. And that's with being wildly generous, referring out other competitors all the time. And I believe they kind of have, they go with each other. Like people don't react to us. I have, well, we just got another referral from one of those companies on that list on Monday that was like really good, or excuse me, Friday, that was really good. And we're talking to them today and he wishes he could take them, but like, why? Because we're not being so close handed with him. You know, we're giving mm -hmm. him business sometimes like, and you know, the best referral partners are probably like a lot similar. They're, they're like very similar to you. I feel like the best ones are ones that are doing talking to the same people have a similar product because they often can't take them for whatever reason. And I mean, apply this to your situation, but is there a way that they might be more generous with you if you were generous with them? Because I don't know, I've tried to refer stuff to software companies and stuff like that, which is a little bit further away than me, right? It's like, you know, CRM or something. I'm trying to refer them business. They're trying to refer me business, but we don't even know. They, they're not even having those conversations with clients. They're not like, yeah, their clients not asking, are you, you know, how do I get more leads? They don't ask the CRM that they ask the, they might ask the consultant that, or they might ask another agency. And then I don't know. Anyways, it's crazy how much business you can get from companies similar to you. If you, if you don't have like a scarcity mindset. Yeah, no, that's very cool. Is there anything else that has been a, a key learning from you as you know, as you sort of grow as an operator and an entrepreneur? Yeah. What stands out? I think these kind of conversations are way more important than I ever thought. Tats, I'm grateful to know you. I'm sorry I've been talking to your ear off. Like this kind of stuff though is like huge to me. Like just getting to know people kind of knowing what they do that's cool and trying to be referral generator for them. Like, I didn't know. I didn't know how to do it. I remember two years ago, I like had this circle on my wall that was like the referral circle. And I was trying, I was throwing stuff at the wall. I was throwing darts at the board. I was like, didn't get one referral, but like being in, wait a couple of years, you wait a couple of years, you stay consistent, you put out content, you try to give other people referrals and then boom, stuff starts to come in from all sides. So it's like patience and time is so important. And then like be relationships person. Like I, it does not come naturally to me. It does not. Like I'm literally like I am an internet nerd, you know, like I like this stuff and I like to be behind my computer. But then as I've been out at these events and like, really gotten to know people and had a fun time and learned from other people on my team that are warmer and friendlier than I am and brought them with the shows and stuff like that. It's like, dang, we like, we like, like know people and it's fun. And like, we like people and like, we're getting along in this industry and this industry is acting to us like way different than it was a couple of years ago. And so I think it makes sure just being relationships focused and letting patience and time do its magic. Great. Now I saw in one of your posts that you're you're getting ready to, you know, I, I guess a, a baby's on the way. Yes, probably. I mean, any day now. So we're like next couple of weeks, so it'll be a baby. 
Well, congratulations. Thank so, you so much, man. Is there anything that I did not ask you that you wanted to share before we sort of close this off? Not at all. You didn't ask about memes. You like memes? I don't know if you follow me on Facebook, but facebook.com slash invigorated. I'm kind of known as meme lord on Facebook for roofers. So if you do have roofers that follow the podcast, honestly, I'm probably more prolific than any other roofing memer alive. <laughs> so, seriously. And, and the funny thing is, is like, it's actually been weirdly big for our business. Like I don't, I wouldn't like put it direct one-to-one like related to the growth or something like that, but because it's empathy with the audience, because it's, I think memes are bigger than people realize. Like if you can get into it and really do memes well, I think it's really good for your marketing. You got to, you got to identify who you're at. It's all, it's a microcosm of marketing. So you got to identify your ideal customer. You have to empathize with them. And then you have to find something that's funny and funny is very powerful. Like the funniest people on the planet, not poor, you know? So like learning to wield that and then empathy and, and even maybe a little bit of like ribbing, because then it's like, it's identifying the problem and kind of zooming in on the problem and then hooking them, which is like, what's your call to action? If you had a call to action and then, so it's like everything in marketing all in like one tiny image. So I think memes have been like wildly teaching to me, like learning over this last year. Cause I do like a meme a day. And so like, I, I literally like have learned a lot about marketing. And so like one of my memes in the last couple of weeks had like 350 reactions. And wow. it's kind of crazy to think, cause it's only for roofers. And so that's like a, that's a really good engagement rate on the internet for that small of an audience. That's amazing. I had um, recently had an entrepreneur that uh, is in the elevator business and that's all is marketing with memes. Yes. You know, it's doing very well as well. So, you know, good. Oh, they're good for sales follow-up too. Yeah. So like, if you, if you find a funny way to, cause people, you know, follow-up gets unnoticed a lot, but if you throw a meme in there, if you can figure it out, it's can really kind of crack open and make it, make it a little bit lighter. Great. A meme agency. There you go. Yes, yes, sir. <laughs> hey, there, there are real meme agencies out there. The the guy who made the Instagram account, Jerry, I'm sure you got to censor me a lot if this is a censored podcast. <laughs> I'm so sorry to the editors if that's a thing. Something Jerry on Instagram is uh, very, they have a whole business around it, like for probably 20 plus people now and just doing memes for companies. So. I'm guessing it's bigger than that, actually, now that I think about it. Yeah, fantastic. It's, you know, it's a new age. There's always new things coming up to try and and see if it works for your business, right? Oh, yeah. Awesome. Well, Tim, thanks for uh, sharing. If if I don't talk to you before, have a wonderful uh, couple of weeks and a couple of months, right? Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Specify Growth Podcast today. Make sure you check out youtube.com forward slash Tats Talks for video of today's podcast. Hit the subscribe button for upcoming episodes.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.